saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number eight. Josie Spinardi, brilliant brain hacker and emotional eating expert. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant based nutrition, habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Okay, well, this week, I am so excited to have one of my heroes, Josie Spinardi, on the show to share with us all of her knowledge. So Josie is brilliant. She is the author of the book. How to Have Your Cake and Your Skinny Jeans Too. Doesn't that sound just like so appealing on many levels? And she is an expert in emotional eating, among other things. Josie, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it is such an honor, and I'm giddily excited to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Yay! So before I ask you a bunch of questions, I'm wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about how you are where you are today. How did you become an expert in emotional eating and talking about dieting and eating and how we can be happy and have a good relationship with our food and our bodies? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it's all kind of like getting pushed off the diving board, basically. So it all started um, right before a wedding that I needed to attend. Um, You know, I had you know, when you have those evaluation events coming, I was certain I was going to be so lean and look perfect and be so acceptable and lovable by the time the date came. And so I did, you know, I had been overweight since I was about age nine, you know, and this was like mid twenties, late twenties. And, you know, I had just been dieting since age nine also, and was crazy with food. And so, you know, how the drill goes, you like want to get lean by a certain date. So of course you use all of the techniques that will almost guarantee that will sadly and painfully backfire in your face. So I was getting ready for that event. Um, I went to put on something that was like, eh, kind of one of your you know, heavy outfits, and I couldn't get it zipped up. And I completely, completely had a meltdown and started crying. Um, 
And I mean, this wasn't like the thing I wanted to wear. This is that dress that you keep in the back of the closet, the skirt that you're like, you know, this is my, what'll always fit no matter how heavy I get one. And I couldn't get it up. And I just completely had a meltdown and started crying. And at that time I was a senior database architect for this decision support group. We were doing incredibly huge analytical things. Harvard Business School came and studied things that I created. And I kind of had this moment like, look, if, if I can solve these things and like we can put a man on the moon, I can solve this problem, right? I'm getting accolades solving problems that I didn't really care about. It was for a financial institution, to be honest. I didn't really care about how much profit we got from each customer. I, I cared and my mission is to equip people with the skills to stop hurting. And I was hurting and I hurt with food since I was about age nine. And so I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm gonna figure it out. Uh, here's some ground rules, cause I know my weaknesses, right? Um, uh, cannot require dieting, cause I can't do it. Cannot require willpower, cause I have none. Has to be completely sustainable when I'm tired, lonely, bored, or even tipsy. And I made the commitment that once I solved it, I would unstoppably share it with anybody that hurt about food. <laughs> and so that's how it all started. And it was a very fledgling effort. And you know, I have a background in psychological research, but I mean, I pulled from everything. And the way that I started my whole process that was so different is I threw absolutely everything off the table. In my analytical work, we did a lot of root cause analysis where you look at multivariate problems, problems that have so many factors that you can't even see them all on the surface. And I mean, that's one of the things that my brain's really good at is, is um, you know, I can't remember to answer emails, but like I can look at lots of pieces of data and see a pattern almost immediately and find the root cause. So one of the important things to do is throw everything off the table and only bring the pieces in that worked. And so that's why my technique is very um, different, but it's also very research-based. Um, I popped the brain open and saw how it worked because I was spending so much money going to like, I would research and find the best therapist, like cognitive therapist, and I would sit and say, okay, look, I wanna be thin, and I keep shoving stuff in my face, right? So I would sit there and be like, what? do I do in that moment? You know the moment where that woman who woke up with a really good plan in the morning, like she's totally bailed on me, I cannot find her anywhere, right? What do I do in that moment to make the choice I really want, which is to not overeat? And the advice was to surf the wave, which resulted in me painfully resisting for 45 minutes and then eating like as much of a Costco sheet cake that I could shove in my house before I put it all down the disposal, right? It's like, so my um, journey and like my mission was to be able to step by step, scientifically and systematically answer the what do I do in the rubber hits the mo road moment when I'm about to put something in my face and I'm not really hungry for it. And mm -hmm. that is what is very unique about this approach. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and again, I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge with with so many women, because there are so many of us, not just women, but majority women, right, that are in pain and struggle. And I kind of see you like a brain hacker, you know, I, I just kind of see you just reading all this research and taking from where, you know, all of these scientists have learned 
little things that can help us and you take all of that and synthesize it down and teach it. And there's a lot in your book, a really great read for those of you out there. Again, how to have your cake and your skinny jeans too. So many women, like you said, start dieting at a young age. I started when I was eight or nine years old. I know many women that started before they were even in the double digits. Mm-hmm. Is it a good idea to think twice before we start dieting? Um, emphatically, yes. And I will go as far to say um, that, you know, the first chapter of my book, which I believe you could just even read for free on preview on Amazon, like I want every human to have access to that. It shows that diet, so they did a meta-analysis, they studied Every long-term, UCLA studied every long-term study that studied dieting anywhere from two to five years. And they found that not just some studies, not most studies, but every single long-term dieting study, and it was absolutely conclusive. Tracy Mann from um, UCLA was quoted saying, you know, and it's also in the findings, that diets absolutely do not cause weight loss long-term. So completely ineffective, which, you know what, that would be disappointing, right? However, the only significant finding that they did find that dieting does result in, and I get the chills when I say this, is that it absolutely predicted weight gain. So it's like, not only does it not work, but it actually makes the problem worse. And then What's so tragic is then we turn around and blame ourselves, right? And I always say, that's like, we think, oh, I'm weak-willed, I'm addicted, I'm disordered. And then nobody can explain why it's happening. And I get a little feisty about this. And so then they start saying, well, you have an addiction, you have a disorder. And I emphatically see it very differently. I see it that you're running this program in your brain and that program will always result in this outcome. You learn a different program, just like, you know, when (laughs) I'm dating myself, but when you used to have a pager, and somebody gives you a cell phone, you're like, hey, I'm not like, I'm in recovery from a pager or if you crawl and learn to walk. I'm not like, I'm in recovery from crawling. No, I got a tool that worked way better and I kind of ditched the old one, right? So we're using food either as a result of gasping from dieting, which is a totally natural result. The studies went on. So, you know, it's like we blame ourselves, which is really tragic. And it's like, we don't consume any other advice or product this way. If there is an airline, like the studies show, and there's um, you know, a doctor from Florida that I quote in my book, that it's some, it's, it was like out of 200 people, um, only 10 of them lost weight that started a diet, which is not really good numbers. But of that 10, only one of them kept the weight off for any amount of time. So that's like a 99% failure rate. And it's like, what other product or advice would we consume? Would you get on an airline that has a 99% crash rate? Would you fly with them? There's no way you would, right? And then if by some like lapse of judgment, you got on that airplane and the engine starts like sputtering, would you then turn around and blame yourself? Like, oh, I can't believe it's crashing because of me. Like, no, it's a faulty airline. It's a faulty system. So not only does it not cause weight loss and only scientific proven thing that it did do was create weight gain. They also found just two weeks of dieting was enough to increase your obsession with food Mm. and feeling out of control with food. So it's actually just very tragically resulting in the exact opposite of what you're wanting. And what's 
you know, insult to injury there is then it goes ahead and creates learned helplessness. So you begin to feel like there's something really wrong with you. And learned helplessness is really the core of depressed thinking, where why even try? Whatever I do, I'm always going to keep failing. And we're blaming ourselves and not the tool. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Let's take a step back. Can you define dieting so that the listeners kind of have in their head what really is a diet and um, then we can take off from there? I love that question. That's such a good question because in my work, you know, I've been doing this for over a decade and I get a lot of people who have kind of been introduced to the intuitive eating. We don't diet. Right. And, and, um, and, you know, now with the like raw vegan health movement, um, people think I'm not dieting, I'm being raw vegan or whatever it is. Right. So I would define, first of all, everything I do in my work, we just, I just, back in from pain because all human behavior is motivated by one of two things. We want to go away from pain and toward pleasure in that order because you want to be alive to enjoy the pleasure, right? (laughs) So I always back in from pain. If you have zero pain about your eating, we have nothing to talk about, right? If you look at what's painful, the way I would describe, um, and I like how you bring it up, let's get rid of the word dieting even. I would call it outside in eating where you're making your food choices by anything other than your brilliant, amazing, like mind-blowing system of appetite, um, hunger, and satiation. I mean, could you imagine, I mean, you're different than most because you are a doctor, but the average person, if we were in charge of regulating our oxygen amount, I mean, I have no clue how to do that. I don't know how much oxygen, is that enough? You know, if I had to outsource that and, you know, put that based on my prefrontal brain, right? Like my sane brain instead of the part of my brain that just keeps my heart beating and has me blinking even while I'm talking. I mean, I would be terrible at that. Yet we outsource our eating and we trust these nutritionists like as if they know everything. And I mean, have you seen how that's changed over time. You know, they used to, I I put something in the book where back in the day they used to say smoking, they thought was good for your lungs. It would help open it up. I mean, things change where our bodies are so miraculous. You know, as a child, I always pushed milk away. Even when I was overeater, I would always push milk away. Well, I actually had an allergic reaction to milk, which is different than most. I would get a rash. I had a rash my whole childhood. Nobody knew why. I, my little sweet, like four-year-old body knew bulk wasn't good for me, but you know, the nutrition and my parents were trying to take best care of me that could. So I would define dieting as any outside in regulation over our food, basically. Mm -hmm. So basically using external cues, whether it's the clock or whether it's a manual or a book or some other expert and using that as the main source of how and when you should eat. Basically. Right. And, and I mean, I'm going to have to add that there's, it's also with the desire to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, I think there's some naturally thin eaters that would eat at a certain time of day just because it was convenient and they're not tripping on it. Then they're just going to wait till they're hungry again to eat. But so it's, it's trying to maintain your naturally lean body weight with your conscious brain, not the part of your body um, that's, you know, appetite, hunger, and satiation. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I love teaching, one of the concepts that you discuss in your book 
is hunger-directed eating. And I think that this can apply to anybody, whether they're lean or overweight or whatever stage of life from newborn <laughs> to old age. Can you tell us more about hunger-directed eating, what it is and, and how you define it? Right. So it's um, a five-step process and it's, um, you know, my whole entire first book is about it. And Amazon, they, they have a program that says what's the most common to statements of all the reviews. And the number one most common statement was people saying this book changed my life, which is very moving. It's also very tragic when what I'm teaching in the first book was exactly how a two-year-old eats, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like just getting back. So I never believe in the pathological model. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of us. We're actually just getting back to how we normally ate before we either started using food, dieting, or using food to change our emotions. Mm -hmm. So before we either restricted food or used food as an emotional um, coping tool, um, how we ate before that, which has five steps. The first one is we wait till you wait to eat until you're physiologically hungry. And it's, you know, so sad because those of us that dieted for years, we've been taught to be terrified of hunger, right? Yeah. And they've confused hunger with the dopamine um, pounce craving drive to eat, which is triggered by um, deprivation, you know, mental deprivation or restricting. So they were confusing. Hunger is not that crazy out of control. I'm going to like push an old lady out of the way to get, you know, that bag of Doritos to binge on in secret in the car. That's dopamine. And, you know, in my class, I teach how to extinguish that in 30 seconds or less because you can, and then you're back to being your same self that would not push a lady out of the way to go sneak food, right? But physiological hunger is, is a great feeling. It's like, you know, um, I remember I had this friend, naturally thin friend, and he, he and his wife were over for dinner and, you know, it took a little longer because no joke actually really was a kitchen fire. <laughs> That's why I don't cook that often. But, um, uh, and he was like, don't worry, hunger is the best seasoning. And I had never heard that. It was like, oh my gosh. So the first step is to wait till you get physiological hunger. And I spent a lot of my book talking people off the terror ledge about getting hungry. It actually is a really calm feeling. When you think about all your other um, body signals, when you respond to them, they're very gentle, right? Um, I can see you now, you just blinked. It was a very gentle nudge, right? Like, oh, it'd probably feel good to get some more moisture in my eye, and so we gently blink or breathe in, right? So hunger is no different than any of your other signals. To breathe, to blink, it's very gentle. If you ignore it and bypass it for a long time, it's gonna get louder. But I mean, have you ever been in a staring contest as a kid, right? It's like suddenly it hurts and all of a sudden blinking just becomes the most important thing in the world. It's all you can think about, right? Because we've restricted blinking. So when we respond to our natural cue, it's very gentle and things taste amazing, like amazing, because our body's made to change our, um, Taste sensitivity when we're hungry kind of makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Step two, also totally terrifying, right, is to eat what you really, 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 really want. And that is, you know, absolutely mind-blowing to people because we have always been outsourced. And so what happens at the beginning is everybody goes through the donuts and Doritos phase, right, where whatever it was that you restricted you're going to just want that all the time. It's going to be terrifying. Like, oh my gosh, am I just going to eat 
you know, nachos and donuts forever. But very quickly, you're like, whoa, I'm craving a salad, right? Because just think about eating cookie dough for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner, or every time you get hungry, you just pull out the cookie dough. At first, it would be so exciting, and pretty soon it would, like, kind of be disgusting, right? You think of that, like, sugary paste, and all this, all you would want is, like, some, like, crunchy lettuce at that point, you know? So our body has its own internal system for getting balance and getting what you're actually needing. Then the third step is to stop when you're comfortably satisfied. And, you know, that's really scary and challenging. And, you know, in the first book, I give people tips on how to actually do that. Um, but I really do need to separate. There's only two reasons we'd ever put food in our mouth when we weren't physically hungry. The first is the response because we've been dieting. And the second is to change how we're feeling emotionally. So, uh, you know, that's a separate aspect. So if you want to keep eating, it could be that, you know, oh, I'm stressed about work or whatever. That's a different skill set. But just on a normal day, it's like to stop when you feel comfortably satisfied. Step four is to listen to how the food makes you feel. And that is such a powerful tool because what you're doing is you're insourcing your nutrition. So for me personally, there are certain foods that I get really tired. I get really kind of sad and moody if I have them. There's other foods where I just feel like rocket fire. My thinking is so clear. You know, I get sleepy if I eat bready sweets. So I eat them at night, which is the exact opposite of whatever any diet had said to do. Right. You know, and then, um, it helped me realize that I had some food sensitivities. I would just check in and see how I felt, you know? And then the last step is to repeat as needed, basically, <laughs> right? Um, well, you know, I skipped one in the middle, which is to um, sit down and actually really be present while you're eating because we normally check out a lot and um, we're not actually present. So we get the physiological satisfaction, but we don't get the psychological. Have you ever been eating something like out of a bag and your hand hits the bottom? You're like, where did all the chips go? Because your brain only ever saw you eating one chip. So like putting them in a bowl in front of you, seeing them, sitting down, not focusing on anything else, you really get that psychological pleasure as well. Mm -hmm. And that mindfulness also goes hand in hand with learning to listen to your intuition because we have, we've been taught that we can't trust our intuition and that if we did, we would all go nuts on donuts and Doritos forever and never stop. But I know when I went through this process, um, I, it was around Halloween and I remember, you know, eating some Halloween candy. And after a while I was just like, you know, this stuff doesn't even taste good. It's like your fantasy and your brain make it so amazing because you think you shouldn't have it. And so whenever you blacklist this food that you should never have or you're committed to never eating again, all of a sudden it has so much appeal that it, your brain fantasizes that it's going to be the best thing ever. But whenever you give yourself permission to do it, you taste it and you're like, oh, actually that's not, not that great. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty amazing the process that one goes through. So I wanted to ask a little bit um, because you do discuss this in your book and many of my listeners are plant-based for a variety of reasons. What would be the difference between restriction or choosing a way to eat for other reasons, maybe environmental ethical reasons, or maybe for just very deep personal philosophical reasons? I absolutely love this question. And it's a really important follow-up to, right? How do you define dieting? 
amazingly and not surprisingly, um, when one makes food choices that are based on deeply held values, there is there are no um, ramifications, none of the gasping ramifications. When we have scarcity, it triggers dopamine, and that's what creates, you know, when you were saying, when I couldn't have the um, Halloween candy, your brain, it's a gr brain's great lie, it hops you up with dopamine, and I always say you're drunk on dopamine, because dopamine released in your um, crave center of your brain, the nucleus accumbens, it skews your judgment up to five consecutive shots of alcohol. I've only mm -hmm. once in my life taken a shot of alcohol. I mean, I drink, but like I, I would get so tipsy. One, one time. I couldn't imagine having five in a row, like how out of it I would be. Well, dopamine impairs your judgment, not your skills or motor functions, but your judgment because it's meant to keep you alive. If we're in a scarce place and there's only one apple and your family needs to survive, you need to be drunk on dopamine and all you can think about is that apple and that apple has to be the shiniest, most amazing, wonderful thing on the planet that you'll climb up and hurt your hands to get it for yourself and your family. So that program's not bad. It's just not useful when it's picking us and pointing at the food, whereas we get to point it. So when a food choice, whatever it is, is value-based, there is no deprivation to trigger that pounce have to have it mode. So for years and years, while I was a horrifically painful overeater, and you know, another thing I talk about in the book is that binge eating is directly proven, not correlational, causal from dieting. Dieting causes binge eating. I think one of my chapters is called Diets Make You Fat and Crazy, right? It's like they absolutely, it causes it. It's linear. So of course, people are like, were you a binge eater? I'm like, of course I was. I was a dieter. And I'm like, if you're going to go anywhere, you go big. So of course, I was crazy, crazy psycho eater, which I was so grateful for because ain't nothing <laughs> any of my clients could bring that would make my head spin. I'm like, yeah, I did that on a Wednesday. Like, are you kidding me, right? But during the height of my most out of control, like just demoralizing binges, I grew up in a cattle ranch. My pet cow was eaten when I was a young child. So from a very, um, like somebody ate my pet cat way, I didn't eat animal products for maybe 20 years. Um, you know, dead animal products, right? So I wouldn't eat meat or anything like that. But it, was, it wasn't an agenda. I didn't care if anybody else did. It was just, I personally, just like you probably wouldn't eat your cat if it got served on a plate. You know, I wasn't able to separate. And the crazy thing is, is I mean, as much as I couldn't keep myself from like binging on everything else, I, I never quote unquote snuck and had meat because it wasn't an outside in rule. It's like, I also didn't sneak and like hit small children when I was babysitting either, right? Because it's like, it's just something that I wouldn't do because it was just so linked to pain for me. Um, later, when I threw all rules off the table, I experimented um, with meat, and I actually find that my body operates quite well with it. Um, so that was kind of an interesting journey as well. But when you're making food choices from a deeply held belief, you're not going to experience any of the gasping backlashes. Mm -hmm. An interesting third category, uh, right? So it's like there's people who are raw vegan because, you know, they have a deeply held belief about, um, you know, the the resources and sustainability or harming of animals or any reason that really anchors. But if we're doing it because you think it's like a quick and easy way to thin, I think you're going to probably find out that you're sneaking a burger here and there and that you're overeating and that type of thing. And it's like, I do have some clients where their whole life is wrapped around being vegan. They're kind of big in that community. And it's really 
challenging because, you know, she, when she did want meat or dairy, she really felt like she was also going to lose part of her sense of belonging to her tribe. Mm-hmm. And so that was very, very hard um, in that moment. Hey, humans. I know you want to eat healthier, but feel strapped for time. And even the thought of meal planning and cooking stresses you out. Well, have you considered trying a meal kit service? Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that make it easy to stick to a healthy living routine. Find recipes for every lifestyle, including plant-based diets. Green Chef delivers quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients, including low-added sugar and sodium-smart options. You get to choose from 80-plus flavor-packed options that allow you to take back time in your kitchen with dinner ready in 30 minutes and lunch in 10. Try 15-plus new recipes every week. But here's the best part. Green Chef delivers everything you need to make convenient, wholesome, and delicious meals directly to your doorstep. Each meal kit includes pre-measured ingredients as well as some produce that comes already pre-chopped and custom sauces that are pre-made in-house. They also provide their recipe cards and the meals are really simple to make. It's a delicious, fresh, home-cooked meal without the hassle. What I love the most about Green Chef is that it takes the stress out of cooking. The recipes are easy to follow and everything you need is included. So even the less experienced cooks in your house can make a delicious home cooked meal. It's perfect for those seasons in your life that you're really busy with your kids' sports and school events. Hello, spring. And time is limited, especially if you want fresh, home cooked, healthy meals to put on the table. So if you're feeling frustrated by the lack of time to eat healthy and you are ready to try Green Chef and see how easily you can integrate it into your healthy lifestyle, go to greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com forward slash I am human five zero and use the code I am human five zero to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Equilibria is a woman-owned wellness brand with products intended to bring your mind and body back in harmony. They consider themselves a by women and for women company, and they now offer a nutrient-dense green powder called Daily Nutrigreens. Myself and my staff here at Nourish Wellness all tried the Daily Nutrigreens, and we loved it. The Daily Nutrigreens contain an immune antioxidant and detox blend, along with prebiotics, probiotics, and over 35 fruits and veggies. It also contains other important nutrients, such as B12, iron, zinc, and selenium. The Daily Greens are certified organic, and all you have to do is mix it with water, but you can also easily add to your smoothies, your oatmeal, or your baked goods. The Daily Nutrigreens are vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO. Another bonus is that the packaging is compostable. Yay! When I tried the Apple Banana Daily Nutrigreens, I was surprised by the pleasant and mild flavor. It was easy to prepare and drink and didn't leave any aftertaste, and I felt great afterwards. It's really easy to create a daily ritual around your green drink, integrate it into your daily self-care routine. A green powder is one way to fill the gap in daily nutrition and is an easy and convenient way to get in your greens. These powders are a great way to add more nutrients into your diet during busy times, travel, and transitions in life when you don't have 
time or access to fresh green veggies. If you're interested in trying Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens, head to myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, that's D-R-Y-A-M-I, for 15% off Equilibria's daily Nutrigreens and much more. That's myeq.com and use code Dr. Yami, D-R-Y-A-M-I, at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But a caveat, especially as a doctor, and I work with a lot of people who like, you know, they're, they have some sort of allergy or intolerance to a food where it's like, oh, I love pizza, but I'm allergic to gluten or allergic to cheese or, or whatever it may be. Um, the work that I do with them is then to anchor the pain from the inside out, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, I'm allergic to dairy. I can have it like once a week without getting a rash, you know, mm-hmm. about one serving a week and I have it, you know, but it's like, I definitely anchored and it's just vanity because it, yeah it itches but it just mostly looked ugly and I'm vain you know what I'm saying and so I was like I don't want that rash and and so you know I anchored to that pain so that when I would think about I'm for sure if I go someplace with a wood-fired pizza oh I am having it but like just having cheese on a burger it's like I don't need that it's not worth it right the burger mm-hmm. itself with the avocado whatever is so good so there is that third category where literally outside in um they're needing to make that change but we absolutely can anchor to the pain and find out what the moderation amount is, et cetera. So, mm-hmm. Because there is a medical issue there that is probably not good for them and mm-hmm. causes some issue. Um, but that also reminds me of the studies with exercise where they looked at extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation <sighs> and people that exercise for intrinsic reasons like social bonding or just because they want to improve on a goal, they end up sticking with exercise longer than people who do it for just like, quote, getting fit or I want to lose weight. Um, So same thing here with the food, it seems like to me. Well, and just to piggyback on that point, um, the studies show that when people exercise to lose weight, they actually end up eating more because your brain goes into this like uh, brain fallacy where you're like, I worked out, I deserve a reward. And so it's like, you know, an apple would be like an hour on a treadmill, basically, if you're walking, you know, and then they go and eat, you know, excess time. And so they actually found that people who exercise to lose weight, um, would gain more weight in the long run because they would do this balancing thing. So like I do cardio, um, because it's my pharmaceutical where Mm -hmm. I know I'm happier, I'm more creative. Um, the world feels shiny. It is in no way tied to my weight because I eat when I'm hungry. And if I'm going to run a bunch of miles, I'm going to be hungrier. So it's like, that's not, it's, it's not a, um, you know, form of busting the equation or cheating the equation. Yes. And I talk to that. I talk with my patients um, about that all the time is exercise is wonderful. I recommend it. I think everybody should be moving their bodies, but look at it as a form of joy, um, as something that is, you know, for your brain and for your well-being and not necessarily a, a, you know, 
quick weight loss method or, or any of that kind of thing. Well, and to add one more point to that, just to really tell people that I completely stopped exercising because that was one of my closet things. I'm like, it can't rely on exercise because one of my really good friends was a athlete, volleyball player, and she was injured. And it's like, okay, well, if I couldn't exercise and that's how I was staying lean. So I completely stopped any form of like get into workout clothes exercise um, while I was losing all the weight. So I ate cheesecake every day and did not do one single, you know, cardio, nothing more than just walking with wedge heels on that entire time. (laughs) And I lost all of the weight. And so, I mean, that was such a really heartening, um, truth that that it really is about the food you know and that's adorable cheesecake and wedge heels that's yeah i, I just love that image <laughs> i want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some cool things i learned from you some yeah. cool brain tricks that that you teach and one of them is visualizing and mm-hmm. having like a moving visual vision board or movie in your head that you use for motivation. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how it works? Yeah. So as neuroscience girl here, it was always incredibly confounding and annoying to me that visualization absolutely worked every time. Anytime I would visualize something, even my book going to number one, you know, I, before I even published it, I had printed a picture of it in number one on Amazon and within three months, I had a real picture that was real. So whenever I would visualize something and feel it, it would come to be, but I am a scientist. So that was just way, I mean, I believed it. I would teach my daughter, I teach my friends it, but it was way too woohoo for me to like put out to my clients. Cause it's like really, but I knew I had to because it was so important. So of course I went to the, the, the studies and I had a lot of friends at that time who were professional athletes. And, you know, I always love that cause it's like, where people put money, you know, there's obviously something there. So one of the big things that they would do is they would do visualizing. So there was these studies where they had basketball players and they divided them into three groups. The first group for X amount of time, you know, a day over whatever the time was, would practice free throws. The second group would spend half of the time practicing free throws. The other half visualizing the free throw from start execution to completion. Third group, only visualize the activity. fMRI brain scans, you know, those um, scans where they show the colors about which part of your brain's activating, showed and proved that while they were visualizing the shot, it activated the exact same part of the brain as when they were taking it. So if you were just looking at the brain picture, you wouldn't know which one was imagining and which one was actually executing. But what they found was that Group A improved, right? The people who practice improved. Group B improved even more, and group C improved the most. It was the visualization um, that brought one of the biggest lifts, and that was exciting because it's like, see, scientifically. So what happens is there's two parts. First of all, your brain has muscle memory um, when you go through that. But second, there's a part of your brain called the reticular activating system. And it's the part of your brain which filters information because right now there's a bajillion pieces of stimuli that you could take in. You could be thinking of every memory you've ever had. Every cell of your body could be focusing on a sensation. So right now you're not thinking about your big toe. But now that I said it, you are, right? Because it just came into the filters. Like you completely, like we're not tending to it. So what's really powerful about visualization is, and when I say visualization, like this is what I did when I was losing 
all my weight every morning and every night, every morning before I'd get out of bed, every night before I'd fall asleep, I would get this picture of myself in my naturally thin body. And I would be walking and having outfits on. I remember I had this cute office that was upstairs. And I would go downstairs and it was a coffee shop. And I just loved my outfits and what I wore. And, and you know that you've actually like completed a little session when you get that feeling that feels like you're in love. You're like, ah, it just like feels really exciting and like, yay, I am her. And um, every night, crazy thing is, is I look like that now and my office is upstairs. I mean, those were just small things that I threw in, but it is upstairs and there is a coffee spot exactly down and to the left, the way I pictured it, which is just nuts. And it's like a town 30 minutes away from where I even was at that time, you know? And um, so, what it does is it gets you operating in the mindset of already being there because our brain is always creating a picture, right? You, we tend to over-exaggerate how ugly and revolting and unacceptable we are, right? Because the brain can be negatively skewed to try to protect you, like, you know, change so that you won't get rejected, which is just an animal brain thing. It's not actually how we connect. Nobody loves you because you're thin or thick. They love you for parts about who you are. Quite often, you're vulnerable flaws, right, is what makes us connect with each other. I mean, that's something that we experience in the group. The women feel so safe and close when they share something really embarrassing and vulnerable that they've done with food. And everybody's like, you're not alone. And you're still totally acceptable, right? So this practice really, I mean, it was just crazy how much when I would visualize the things would come to be. And it's not magical woohoo. It's that I was starting to operate like that person. So then when I would make choices, I would make choices like the naturally thin person, or I would be aware of resources that were available to me, just like you weren't aware of your big toe. Once it came on, I was more aware. So any, any book or any class that might teach me something about the brain that would be helpful, I was more aware of. And I was more focusing on the direction of my leanness. I always give people this too, who are very critical to themselves when they look in the mirror and have a lot of shame about it, I always say, okay, don't look away from the mirror until you find one thing that's lovely. Because what we focus on grows, right? And I mean, I don't care if it's your eyelash length, right? At this point, that's the only thing you could find. And it sets your reticular that you're just looking for what's beautiful about you instead of what's dangerous and rejectable. Mm, I love that. I wanted to ask you real quick about children. So I work with families and of course I'm a pediatrician. So how would you present these types of concepts to children so that we can try to help them avoid the pain that comes from dieting and restriction? That's a great question. So I have a 12 year old little girl. Um, I adopted her from Russia when she was one. And um, it's so interesting even though I teach this for a living and it's what I do, I have to admit it was so scary to apply these principles and allow her to trust her own hunger, appetite, and satiety. Not going to lie, it was terrifying, right? Um, and so I always want to caveat any parental advice. These are your kids. I'm just going to share what I've done based on my experience and what I've seen um, especially when it comes to parenting. I mean, in general, I, I'm not a person that just like evangelizes on, because that's the right word there. I, I, I'm not dogmatic about a point. I just don't want you to hurt. If it's not hurting, who cares? This absolutely worked for me. And my child is like incredibly naturally lean. Like, you know, she just never put on weight. And um, she has 
the most incredible relationship with food, which is so important to me because I come from like, I, I, the generations that I know were all obese. My parents were obese, both of them, one obese grandparent, another obese, until I know where it stops, there was obesity every generation. And I'm like, okay, that stops. I don't want to pass. And I mean, I was the most psychotic, quote unquote, disordered eating, you know, and it's like mothers often pass that down. And I'm all, uh-uh, not going to happen, right? So no matter what, I'm like, at least do nothing is worse than, or is better than. Um, so I, from a young age, let her eat what she wanted. And then we would kind of do win-win sometimes if I was like, you know, if she's like, I want something sweet. And I was kind of like nervous to let her have candy at a young age, you know, like, again, in the day kind of thing, you know, I was like, let's have a win-win, which was kind of fun because that's my little parenting philosophy with her. And, it, and that's how we kind of learned it together. And like, so what are you wanting about the candy? She's like, it's colorful and it's sweet. And I'm like, well, what about having strawberries with powdered sugar? And she was like, okay. And so that was a win-win. But even hearing myself say this now, that was me kind of directing her. But when she was younger, like the young brain is just binary. Like they didn't, she didn't know as many options. Now, um, I fully leave her in charge of her food choices. And um, it was really scary there for a while because she would eat a lot of candy. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to like have the kid that's like so unhealthy with no teeth? And like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, is this child abuse what I'm doing? Um, and and I would notice that she would also, right, because I would focus on that because I was afraid of a, a little bit. Of, she has free access. She has a huge candy drawer that's got candy. But then she also has the drawer with the apples and the drawers with the meat. and the You know, she's got full access to everything in our home. But, I mean, it's hilarious. She'll be like, oh, I have to have spinach. Or, you know, she'll – it's just the same thing as we are when, when she has no stigma around food. And the thing is, when she's like, I have to have candy, she'll have it. And – I did notice this when she got older. Um, if she would watch TV, she wouldn't be able to check in with her body as well. But I, I don't, I always like as a habit for her to separate TV from eating, right? Um, it's not a dogmatic rule, but it's like, you know, it's like when you eat, enjoy it, you know, mm -hmm. sit down, enjoy it. Plus, you're not eating on my white couch. Like, do you know what I'm saying? So, um, but what's lovely is that, um, you know, she'll be like, I really want a cupcake. I'll get her a cupcake. She'll eat the best parts that she likes, some frosting. And it's like, sweetie, throw this away. It's on the counter. You know, it's like, that's the problem. She'll just leave it the minute that she's disinterested. Whereas a lot of her peers, especially the ones whose parents are a little, um, they're very well-meaning. And I just feel very cautious when I'm stepping here because it's like, I never want to judge someone's parenting. But I just see a little bit more food focus and they'll be like, Oh, can I finish your cupcake where we just had a meal? And it's like, I'm wondering if that's true hunger or if it's scarcity because we don't get cupcakes that often. Mm -hmm. And the thing that drives me bonkers just from a critical thinking is like, I'll be at her class party, you know, and there's having pizza and cake. I'm like, there's no health value in either of those. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it'll be like the moms will be like, no, you can't have cake until you finish your pizza. And I just have never understood that logic because it's like, like, why shove more of something in to get something else? You know, it's just very disconnected from the body. Yes. It's made me rethink a lot of how I parent mm -hmm. and I, I had to do the scary thing and loosen the reins. And it is, it's really, really anxiety provoking for some oh, parents, terrifying. especially for people like us that have dealt with, you know, these issues in the past. You really like in your head, you go to this place where you really think your kid's just going to become like that kid mm -hmm. that only eats candy and mm -hmm. you know, like, 
is going to be like 20 years yeah. down the road on the couch with no job. Like the, my mind right, literally exactly. would go there. Okay. So, right, um, but it was amazing because I think my, especially my older one was gasping a little bit for food. So whenever he would have access to certain things, it, you know, he wouldn't be able to stop. But once I actually sat them down and I talked to them and I said, we're going to try this. This is the stuff that mommy's learning. I'm always learning new things. We're always going to be trying new things. And they have their own little drawers that they have with their little treat and, you know, play foods and that kind of thing. And it's, it's been amazing. I mean, in fact, the other day we did have cupcakes for my younger son's birthday and I found three of them like rotting in the corner. Like hey. They forgot about them because it's not like something that I say you can never have, you know? So, um, I, and, and I, and, and I agree with you, there's more than one way to parent mm -hmm. and I'm not being critical of anybody. Um, it's just more for me. I really didn't want my kids to be suffering around food like I did. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it was important to me. There's definitely families out there that are ultra mm -hmm. uber healthy and the kids are like, you know, whatever I get treats yeah. and it's in this way and that's fine. But I, I wanted to kind of ask your take on that. Well, right. I love it. Can, can okay, I add one more quick thing yes. about the parenting? First of all, I love that you did that so much. And it's like just so interesting to see. You're like, whoa, it, it worked out. Like, it's so scary, right? But an important thing as part of it, you don't just go, okay, have at it, especially if you've been eating a different way. I really help her anchor. So if she does overeat, like where she ate mm -hmm. something too much, and she'll be like, oh, my stomach hurt. It's so important. I'm like, oh, that feels owie. I'll, I'll really help her at a young age experience that pain. Like, oh, that's yucky. Why do you think it feels like that? Oh, I think I ate too much. I'm like, well, why do you think you ate too much? And, you know, she'll be like, well, I wasn't paying attention because we were doing that during whatever, right? So it's like I help her anchor. Oh, this owie from the tummy is when you don't pay attention, you don't stop at the right time, and that leads to owie. So then the next time she's doing something and she doesn't pay attention, you know, and like she's like wanting to watch a movie with kids while she eats or whatever. I mean, it's not a rule, but but she'll go, oh, I remember that hurt, just like touching a stove. Like, oh, wait, I remember that hurt, which just could wake her up enough to pay attention. Also, she has no food allergies, anything, but it's so weird. Slurpees? Whatever, I don't know if it's the sugar, the dye, whatever. I mean, she's the joyful little even kill kid when she has a slurpee if it's immediate like the bigger size and not small she will fall off the cliff and cry within two hours she's crying about something i guarantee you and the first time it happened you know i just thought it was about what she was crying about the second time it happened i was like don't you think it's where the last time you had the slurpee and she's like maybe and then you know we always joke about the slurpee i'm like what size are we gonna get cry or just you know you know or like just a struggle and so she from the inside out gets a small slurpee when she gets one because she knows she's a little sensitive the food makes her feel a little bit more sensitive plus when she gets sad after a slurpee it helps her kind of separate from let me see in a couple hours if i'm still sad about this thing or if it's from the sugar so it's like a really powerful way to teach your children to kind of um anchor pain to things right yeah. And also I love it because we're not blaming them or making them feel no! bad. Like you're not a bad person because you overate, you know, you're not a bad person because you chose to eat a cupcake, but notice how it feels. And do you want to feel like that? Or maybe next time you don't want to feel like that. And so it gives them the ability to make choices outside of a judgment area, you know, which I think is really, really important because we already place so much judgment on ourselves for the food decisions we make sometimes. I want to ask you a personal question. Okay. <laughs> I like to ask my guests about their own habits and what is what your most 
favorite habit that you are proud of? How did you develop it and how do you maintain it? Oh, this is really a good question. I believe my most favorite habit is, well, I have two, so I'm trying to pick. Um, (laughs) Tell us both. (laughs) Okay, well, the first that came to mind was um, win-win management, where, um, you know, I don't parent, I don't partner, I don't friend, I don't business to consumer in a way where one person wins and the other person loses. It's like really important that we don't move forward in a decision until both people are outlandishly on board and feel really good about both choices. Like that really has changed my life. Um, there's no conflict. You always expect the best because I, I understand it's coming from that place that there's no pathology. It's like you're perfectly reasonable for anything you'd want. And I want you to have what you want, but I also want what I want. So how do we do that? The other one that I think ties the most to this that really, really dramatically changed my life was, I mean, it's a double-edged coin of believing that absolutely everything is possible, but the only way I could have that is on the other side of the coin, taking 100% ownership for all of my actions and everything that's in my life. I look at how I contributed to this thing happening as opposed to blaming um, because that's the only place where I can make change. And I used to have a lot of depressed thinking and feel really powerless. And this mind shift has changed that completely where when anything happens, instead of saying, you know, people say WTF, I like to say WTO like, well, you know, Jack Campbell, I learned that from him. Like, what's the opportunity? So when something happens, I'm like, wow, what amazing could come of this? And then when I want something, I have a desired outcome. I'm like, that's absolutely possible. If somebody like, you know, it's absolutely possible. How do I get there and just break it down into steps? Um, I love it. It, Both of those habits are so empowering. It, It just makes you feel that possibility of so many wonderful things happening. And every time I talk to you, I feel like, it's magical. I just learned all these wonderful pearls of wisdom. So I'm glad this is going to be recorded and that we're sharing it with everybody. Thank you. So if somebody wanted to start applying this today, how would you suggest they do it? Well, um, go ahead and wait till you get hungry. Right. I mean, it really is like such, it's not a program. It's something we talk about. It's like, it's a practice. It's a way of being, um, you know, I would think a good starter would be to read my book. Um, and get the five steps down, um, especially if you're dieting, it really helps undo that damage and start that journey to get back in touch with your internal hunger, appetite, and satiety. Um, I also offer a program. uh, It's an online group. It's like the happiest place on earth. These women are so amazing and supportive um, called Thin Happy Sane. It's a five-week program where they come through and there's coaching now. It's like, made it be over three months of coaching that they get one-on-one and then they learn all the different material to solve both the diet induced overeating and the very painful emotional overeating as well. Oh, I love it. And they can just go to josiespinardi.com to find you there. That's great. Josie, you have a new book that you're working on that will be coming out sometime next year. Do you have a title or maybe a little synopsis for us yet? Well, it's actually um, a book that answers the uh, 
the problem of the, you know, four types of emotional eating, right? So we have gasping for food. That's when you've restricted and you come up and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to have this food. That's the first book deals with that. But then we also have eating because you ate, right? Where you're going along and you're doing really good and you take a bite, you know, of a leftover waffle off your kid's plate and you're like, I shouldn't have eaten that. So therefore you eat the whole rest of the box of waffles and a bag of chips, right? So it <laughs> offers that solution, how to bounce back flat fast when you blow it. We um, give the solution to the mean girl munchies when you're having an evaluation event or you feel flawed or, oh, you know, I got this work assignment, I'm gonna fail and be homeless, so I need to go munch M&Ms really fast to regulate my emotions. Uh, licking wounds, which is where you feel really powerless and stuck, and it's like, well, I can't have what I want anyway. I'll never succeed. I might as well eat a sandwich, you know, and like just sit on the couch. And then there's that, you know, dopamine, drunk on dopamine, just learning how to actually use your brain to extinguish a craving in real time. So that's kind of what that covers. And and right now I offer the online program about it. And I at this point the book's going to have the same title, which is Thin Happy Sane, because just one of those isn't enough. <laughs> That's right. Well, Josie, an hour is just definitely not enough time to go over all the wonderful things that you can teach, but thank you so much for your time. For the listeners out there, please consider grabbing a copy of Josie's first book, How to Have Cake and Your Skinny Jeans Too, so that you can read it in time and be ready for her next book that comes mm -hmm. out next year. And check her out online, Josie Spinardi, J-O-S-I-E-S-P. I-N-A-R-D-I. Did I get it right? <laughs> Dot com. <laughs> so I will put it on the show notes as well. And you can check it out and see if you want to be part of her online group, which I highly recommend. So you can learn more from this fabulous, brilliant woman. Josie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me and for having this forum. Awesome. Have a wonderful day. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.